I want to extend a special welcome to our guest speaker today, John Williams, who happens to be a cousin. And um, he's a professor, a teacher, I guess, of communications and speech. And um, he's a very complicated schedule because he teaches in about three or four different colleges simultaneously. And so we've been working for about a year to try to find a slot where he could come over and share with us. So I know you'll appreciate it as he shares the things from the scripture and from his heart. Well, I think it's still morning. Yeah, good morning. Uh, it's good to be here. And uh, as uh, Bernard said, it's, we've been working on this for quite a while to be able to get me out here. Uh, and partly I want to thank you. Uh, Hannah, my daughter, was here, oh, what was it, 2014, something like that, six or seven years ago. She came and helped with Vacation Bible School, helped Beverly with that. And Hannah had such a good time. She spent a whole week here, a couple of Sabbaths, and I've always wanted to thank you personally for the way you treated my daughter. And uh, she felt very at home here, and she really, really enjoyed the time that she spent with Mount Pleasant Church. So thank you. Uh, The other thing I need to do to start off is, uh, although I guess I don't really feel like I need to do this, but there's a, uh, as Bernard said, I'm a, a teacher of speech. And so... One of the things that they have in the world of public speaking is called Greek apologia. And in Greek apologia, you begin your presentation by apologizing. And sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes you, you actually have something you need to apologize for. And I'm not sure really if I need to apologize uh, for this particular thing. Uh, because a lot of times we think of Greek apology as sort of just a, a gimmick or a strategy, a way to get started, and you know, a lot of public speaking people think it's sort of bush league to do it. So what am I going to do? Let's start off with a little apology. <laughs> um, and I, I don't feel uncomfortable that I'm not wearing a suit, but it's kind of interesting. Usually when you do a presentation, you want to be dressed as fully as possible. And I went to put my suit on, and it didn't fit. See, in, in uh, February, I had COVID, and I had already lost some weight because I've been listening to the Vibrant Health presentation this morning. We've been trying to do better with our health, and I had lost some weight, not, you know, 10, 15 pounds. Well, when I had COVID, I lost 13 pounds in one week, and so, and I haven't gained mo- hardly any of that back, and uh, so I went and I put my suit on. And it was hanging on me like a burlap bag. I mean, I just looked like, you know, the pants were, and I was like, I can't wear this anymore. So I sort of of feel like it's okay that I'm not wearing a suit, but it just felt kind of weird that I'm going to have to get a new suit. I don't know. Uh, So anyway, so at this point now, I want to actually begin uh, to talk with you about the sermon today. But I want to start again with another word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you be with us this morning as we open your word. Help us to learn what you would have us learn. And it's not about me. It's not about us. It's totally about you. Draw us close to you. Thank you for loving us, for being our God. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with a a few verses that at first may not seem like they go together. Uh, They might seem a little bit disconnected. But hopefully by the end of our talk, end of our time together, those verses will have some sort of connection. 
At least that's, that's the plan. Let's hope it works. The first verse is from Matthew sixteen eighteen, And I say also unto thee thou art, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The next verse I want to share with you is the first part of the scripture reading in Proverbs. Proverbs 8, and we're just going to do verses 28 and 29 here. When he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment when he appointed the foundations of the earth. I particularly love the phrase in there, foundations of the deep. Uh, the fountains of the deep. I, I love that whole concept of deepness and, you know, deep water kind of deal. And the, the last verse is Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, that's three sort of, you know, usually when we do a, a set of scriptures, it, it, they're automatically connected and it's very easy to see. There's a story it tells or there's a common character between them. And, and these don't seem to go together other than the fact that they're from the Bible. So uh, that's a little bit by design. Well, not a little bit. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about puzzles. And when you get puzzles... Puzzles are a whole bunch of disconnected pieces, right? And you're trying to figure out how they go together. And we, don't we have a puzzle in our life? Don't you have different pieces in your life that you're trying to connect? Family, friends, work. Uh, you've got different relationships that you're trying to get connections. You're trying to get back together with somebody. Or you're trying to make make a relationship at work, you know, you got that problem employee or that coworker, and you're just trying to deal with them and it seems like you can't connect. It's a puzzle, isn't it? And you're trying to get things to connect so that it all looks peaceful and you have something that works. So it's a puzzle. Life is a puzzle. And today we're going to talk about puzzles. When I was growing up, I wish that I had the kind of family life spiritually. Uh, My family, we did lots of things together. We traveled. We did all kinds of things. But we didn't go to church together. I wish that when I was growing up, I had had the kind of family experience that I've had now. Uh, Trisha and Hannah and I, we go to church together. We went to Sabbath school together. We went to Vespers together. If there was some kind of a spiritual meeting or a worship, we went together. And, you know, that's been a wonderful experience. And those of you that remember Hannah know she's a sweet girl. She's a totally sweet girl. And that's partly because she's been going to church her whole life, and she went with her family. That was not my experience growing up. When I was really young, getting to church was not a family thing. Well, it was a family thing, but it wasn't my nuclear family. It wasn't mom, dad, my brother and sister and I going to church. Uh, my mom worked in a hospital a lot, and so there were a lot of times where she was at the hospital, at the lab, and my dad just wouldn't go. I can count on one hand, maybe a couple of times in my life when I was growing up that my dad went to church. Uh, I, I can remember one time specifically, and another time sort of vaguely, and that's it. Uh, now, praise the Lord, he has since, he went back to church before he passed away, And he spent the last uh, 10 or 15 years of his life going to church regularly. But he was about 
60 or 70 years old before he started doing that. Uh, my youth, no, dad wasn't there. Mom was there occasionally. Uh, and so it, you know, I wish that I'd had that kind of experience. This is how we got to church. Friday night when I was little, we, the church was just down the street from us, but I was pretty young. And, of course, my brother and sister weren't that much older. So to make sure we were safe and whatnot, they would drop, mom and dad would drop us off at Grammy and Grampy's house. And we would spend the, the night sleeping on the front porch, which was kind of cool. It was a glider, and I could watch the mushroom trucks go by and count them, and that was kind of cool. But, you know, then it was going to church and Sabbath, Sabbath school and church with Grammy and Grampy the next morning. And that's how I had church. That was my spiritual uh, up, upbringing for when I was really young. And my grandfather was the church treasurer. And so one of the things he would do is he would organize, he would you know, take the offering and he'd get out a little table and he'd set it up and he'd count things up. And I would help him. I didn't know anything about money really, but I liked to pile up the quarters, four quarters for a dollar, 10 dimes for a dollar, you know, five nickels for 25 cents, 10 pennies for 10 cents, you know, and I'm lining up the, the, the eagles and the, you know, whatever the images were on the coin, I'm getting them all stacked. I loved doing that. It was organizing, moving pieces around, kind of like a puzzle, right? And that was the other thing I enjoyed. I liked putting puzzles together. And my mom in particular liked to do puzzles. And so I spent a lot of time with my mom putting puzzles together. And I loved that, uh, spending time connecting all those pieces, moving, them, moving things around and putting all the right colors together and all that sort of thing. Um, and then as I got older, puzzles uh, started to fall out of my life. Uh, when I would get home, mom would be working on a puzzle, I'd help her. But for the most part, I was moving. I was living in apartments. Uh, you know, I didn't have puzzles to drag around with me. So, and we didn't have computer stuff back then, so we could have, you know, online puzzles. But uh, then Hannah came into the world. And what do little kids like to do? They like to play with things, right? They like to move little pieces around. And so puzzles were something that Hannah was enjoying doing. And so we would get puzzles and, uh, you know, the 10-piece puzzles initially. And Daddy would help her. And all of a sudden, I had somebody to put puzzles together with. And then she moved from 10 pieces to 20 or 30, 50 pieces, 100 pieces, 300 pieces, 500 pieces. And I'm on cloud nine. I love puzzles. I'd rediscovered something that I, you know, didn't have. Then Hannah started to get older like I did. She started to lose interest in puzzles. She was more interested in her friends and those kinds of things. And then she went off to college. Her idea of helping with a puzzle today is to come up and go. And she put one piece in and say, my work is done. And then she'd leave. That was, that was Hannah helping me with a puzzle. So now it's me. I'm, I'm the puzzle guy. And so uh, here we're going to talk about puzzles. And we're going to talk about puzzles of peace. And what I want to do today is to spend time on how to construct a puzzle. Uh, this is a set of puzzles that my, my father's day and my birthday come pretty close together in one, one year. Uh, Trisha and Hannah got me a whole bunch of puzzles, you know, 300 pieces, 750, 500, and I put them together and, and put them back, put them together, put them back. So that was a, that's a pretty much a standard gift over the last decade or so, especially to get me new puzzles. And this one is my favorite puzzle. 
uh, a few years ago, uh, well, it must have been about somewhere around 2015 or so, Trisha got me this puzzle. It's called Vigil by the Sea, and it's a lighthouse. And for some reason, right from the very beginning, you know, you'll always have something that's a favorite that you like, and sometimes you can't put your finger on why. I just knew the moment I saw this puzzle, I loved it. And, and there was something about it that I just really, really wanted. And so I've put it together a bunch of times. And finally, over time, it began to hit me. I, I thought initially that maybe it's because I like the ocean. And when I was growing up, I was like, you know, I would put models together of ships and planes and stuff like that. And then one year we went, somewhere around 1967, I'm really old, uh, we went, on, went to Prince Edward Island. And back then, there was no bridge to Prince Edward Island. There is today. On the northwest uh, corner of the island, you can actually drive there from the mainland on a bridge. But when we were there back in the 60s, uh, you had to go on an ocean-going ferry. And I still remember that. I remember being on this ferry, and I went to the front of the boat, no land. I went to the back of the boat, no land. I went to the left, the port side, no land. I went to the starboard side, no land. As far as I knew, I was in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and I was so excited about that. I just thought that was the greatest thing. Maybe if I'd had a pair of binoculars, I could have seen some kind of land formation, but I couldn't, and I was just the happiest kid you'd ever want to see. And even though I had built lots of different models before then, almost exclusively after that experience, I built ships. Battleships, cruisers, submarines, anything that went on the water, sailing ships, the Mayflower, the ocean liners, those, those kinds of things. And I thought maybe the reason I like this lighthouse is because lighthouses are associated with ships, right? I mean, to get you into port safely. And I was thinking, you know, because the closest thing I'm going to get to a cruise, <laughs> especially in today's day and age, right? Um, I guess they are starting cruises next year. But anyway, uh, the... This is the closest I'm going to get to a cruise, is a lighthouse. And I was thinking, that maybe that's it. Maybe that's why I like this lighthouse so much. But the more I studied it, it began to dawn on me that there was something more going on. And so what I would like to do today is I would like to put this puzzle together with you. We're going to take it apart. We're going to take this picture apart. And we're going to go right down to the grassroots. And we're going to work on putting together this puzzle. Now, what's the first thing that you do with a puzzle? (laughs) Uh, A puzzle is just a whole bunch of pieces that don't go to, I mean, it's just a pile. What what are we going to do with that? If you ever want to have a fun time, go into a puzzle. This is a, it doesn't have the number of pieces on the box and I've never counted them, (laughs) so I don't know. I just know it's more than 500 pieces. If you really want to have a good time, Reach into a puzzle box of 500 pieces, pull out one piece, put it on your table, and start from there. It's going to take you a while. Traditional puzzle piece has a top and a bottom and a left and a right. So out of those other 499 pieces, you're looking for at least four of them that will go on that one piece. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. It can be done. I've done it a time or two, but usually with smaller puzzles. And then the novelty wears off, and I go back to the real plan. How do you put a puzzle together? What do, you, what do most of you do? Oh, the corners. corners. Yeah, you work on the borders. This gentleman back here is going, borders. Yeah, he's drawing the line, man. 
There you go. So in this mess of puzzle pieces, you look for the straight pieces. Look for the pieces that are easily defined, that can be separated from the rest of them, because one of their sides is even. And the rest of it's all squirrely, but there's one side that's even. If you find all of those straight pieces, now you can put the framework of the puzzle together. And of course, puzzle manufacturers know that we do this. So have you ever had one of those puzzles where they throw one of those straight pieces into the middle of the puzzle? <laughs> Just to have fun. I, I'm, I'm convinced that there's a guy at the puzzle factory going, <laughs> Boy, I'm going to have fun with this one. It's a straight piece in the middle of the puzzle. But this one is pretty traditional. Vigil by the Sea is uh, the straight pieces are all border pieces. So that's what I do is I pull out all the border pieces. My mom came up with a strategy, um, and, and I borrowed this. She would put a puzzle together the first time. You have to deal with the, you know, the whole mess of puzzle pieces. But once she had put the puzzle together the first time, when she put it away, she would take the border pieces and put them in a Ziploc bag. Yeah, see? And the next time she did the puzzle, she'd get it out, dump out, there's the border pieces, and it sped things up a little bit. And I thought, Mom, that's a great idea. So I started doing that. I put the border pieces uh, in a Ziploc bag. But the other thing I, I realized is, what do I do after I have the border together? I start looking for things that go together. You know, there's blue, 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 blue. There's, there's black, 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 black. There's a gray, gray, gray. There's a flower, flower, flower. And I start grouping those up. Have, have you done that? I see some heads nodding. So, hey, I got creative. This is my puzzle box. Okay? Now, there's the border. There's a bag for the border pieces. And if you remember the picture, the lighthouse in the blue sky is at the top. So there's a bag for that. In the middle of the puzzle is the ocean, the water. There's a bag for that. And the bottom of the puzzle is the rocks. And there's a bag for that. So when I put this puzzle together, I have a strategy. I set things up so that I can be more efficient. And isn't that what you want to do in your life? Don't you want your life to be a little more efficient? Don't you want to be, not be scattered and going left and right and up and down and trying to figure things out? Don't you want a little bit of order? It's not that you don't ever want to have a little fun and a little unexpected, but for the most part, you want things to track a certain way. And so this is what I did with the puzzle. And I set up my, you know, you have the picture of the box. The first time you put a puzzle together, don't you set the box up so you can look at it? Oh, yeah. Oh, the sky's there. Oh, that's, what's that? And then when you're putting the puzzle together, that helps. You have a guide. Isn't it interesting that this puzzle is about a lighthouse? A lighthouse is a guide. Hmm, interesting. So, I got the border pieces out. I've got my guide that I can look at. I don't use anymore when I put this puzzle together. I don't need, I know what it looks like. So I don't have to put the, the picture up anymore. But you're seeing this puzzle for the first time. So we've got the guide up there. We've got our border pieces. And we're looking to create a frame. And the border pieces create a frame. And don't we do that in our spiritual life? Don't we need a frame of reference? Don't we need some straight pieces that are easily defined? Think back, those of you that grew up in the church, think back to Sabbath school. What were your Sabbath school songs? 
Oh, you never sang the 2300 days song? Or what about this one? I'll sing this one for you. Come out of her, my people. Come out of Babylon. They're going to pass the Sunday law and put us into jail. Did, did you ever sing that one? No? Yeah, I made that one up, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, we sang, we sang really simple songs. Jesus loves me, this I know. I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of the love in the book he has given. You ever sing that one? So we sang very uncomplicated songs to our children. That's how we learn. We need straight pieces, easily identified. What do we do? We tell Bible stories. Daniel in the lion's den. Now, as adults, we know that there's a deeper meaning to that story. But initially, it was just a story, wasn't it? It was this really cool thing. Daniel in the lion's den, and, and he survives the night with the lions. Noah in the ark. Wow, that's a cool story, isn't it? Jacob and Esau. Cain and Abel. The parables that Jesus told, stories that are easily defined, easily understood in terms of a frame of reference. And yeah, there's deeper stuff after that, but the initial frame of reference is easily understood. I mean, are the Ten Commandments really all that complicated? Thou shalt not kill. Okay, (laughs) is that really hard to understand? Thou shalt not steal. Bear false witness. Have no other gods before me. Are those hard to understand? We make them complicated, don't we? All right, but the Ten Commandments are a very good frame of reference. If you've got those as your border pieces of your life, welcome to the good life, right? Okay. So, and, and how do we introduce the next level? Think about this picture here. We have a lighthouse at the top of the picture. What is a lighthouse? It's a guide. And that's when it really started to hit me. This puzzle is about Jesus Christ to me. That's why I love it so much. He's our guide. And so when I put this puzzle together from top to bottom, which is how we're supposed to do things, top, heaven, God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, down to the bottom, which is earth, what's at the bottom of that puzzle? Rocks, earth, right? And there's something in the middle of it, here, water. This puzzle is set up in a really interesting way, and so I started building it from the top down. I put into the frame, into the frame, into the border pieces, all of the pieces related to the lighthouse, to the guide. And there it is. Jesus Christ is our guide. And when you think about it, a lighthouse is more than, a lot of times we think of the lighthouse as, that's to get you in, you know, safely to the port, right? Well, most ocean voyages don't start out in the middle of the ocean. If you start out in the middle of the ocean for your ocean voyage, you had some kind of unreal experience like a a balloon landed or a plane crash or something like that. You don't start out in the ocean. Where do you start out? In a port. The lighthouse gets you out to the ocean just as much as it gets you back from the ocean. The guide is both ways. It's a complete picture. Jesus Christ is a complete picture. He guides you out in your life, and he guides you back in at the end of your life. He's the lighthouse. 
He's the guide. He's a bright light. Okay? And notice, that lighthouse is on rocks. That's why we did that verse on this rock who built my church. Jesus is the rock. And this lighthouse is built on rock. And so, it's the guide. It's the thing that... And we have to understand Jesus first before we can understand much. I mean, how do you understand God? God is perfect. Are you perfect? God is love. I love a lot, but um, not all the time. Sorry. I've got some imperfections in there. God is all-powerful. I'm not all-powerful. He's omnipresent. I'm not omnipresent. You know, people always, preachers are always saying, when you have children, it will teach you better about who God is. And I just took it at face value and said, oh yeah, must be the case. I I believe you. But I didn't understand it. And then we had Hannah. (laughs) All of a sudden, I figured out what those minister was talking about all those years. For the longest time, Hannah thought I was um, omnipresent. I was always around. Every time she turned around, daddy's pulling her away from something, right? I was all-powerful. I could pick her up and throw her around and throw her in the air. Then she got to middle school and I said, Hannah, this is about the end of putting you on my shoulders. (laughs) I was all-knowledgeable. She asked a question. I had the answer. She didn't know whether I was telling her the right thing or not. All she knew is that I had the answer, right? And then she got to junior high and figured out that daddy's an idiot, okay? Um, And, you know, I am. But haven't you had this experience, you know, as you got to your teenage years, your parents are just, oh, what's wrong with my mom and my dad? And then 10 or 15 years later, when you're raising your kids, you're calling them up on the phone, mom, dad, when I was in junior high, how did you deal with this? My kids, did you ever do that? You ever make that phone call? All of a sudden, mom and dad got to go smart again, right? But bottom line is, in all truth, I can't relate to God because he's all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, etc. He's perfect. Wow, how am I going to relate to him? Through Jesus. Jesus was tempted. Have you been tempted? Jesus wept. Have you cried? Jesus was betrayed by a friend. Have you been betrayed by a friend? Jesus was hungry. You ever been hungry? He thirsted. You ever been thirsty? Jesus had a job. We forget about that part. He didn't start his ministry until how old was he? What did he do for the first, you know, 33 years of his life? He helped out in the, in the carpentry shop. He was a carpenter. He had a job. Have you got a job? Okay. So Jesus did a lot of things. He was tempted like we were. And so I can relate to him. And because I can relate to Jesus, I can now relate to the Father. He's my guide. He's that beacon of light pointing up to heaven, going across the water. But he's also lifting me up and connecting me to God the Father. He's my guide. Uh, He's the lighthouse. So at some point... You know, when we find out about Jesus, we need to, you know, how are we going to introduce Jesus to people? Do we, you know, hey, let's talk about the mark of the beast, and that'll teach you about Jesus. Is that how we do it? What are the books that we give to people? 
about the life of Jesus. Anybody? Desire of ages. That's a very common approach. It's his life story, right? Steps to Christ. You know, and before you can get to the mark of the beast in 2300 days and all of that, you know, intricacy, first you have to know who Jesus is. Because none of that's going to make any sense unless you know who Jesus is. So that's why this puzzle works for me because now I've got the border pieces, the straight pieces. Now I've got Jesus at the top, my guide. And now you know what happens once I know Jesus? What's he going to say to me? What does Jesus say? Go. And where are you going to go? Out there someplace, right? Go ye therefore unto all the world. How would you get to the rest of the world? I guess you can go on a plane today, but really, you go by boat, wouldn't you? You have to go across oceans. You have to go across rivers and lakes and all those kinds of things. You have to go to the sea. And the sea is the next part of this puzzle. Sea is in the middle part. Sea, the water. And so I take the pieces of the sea and I pour it down into the middle of... There's lots of room there. Okay? I've understood Jesus. I figured out who he is. I've got my border pieces. And now he's saying, now that you know who I am, go tell somebody else. What good is it if you've got the border pieces and you understand me and you never share it? What good is it then? You've just got an incomplete puzzle. you just got an open area, you know, for the breeze to flow. Yeah, you're comfortable, whatever. No, he says, Go. Go to the rest of the world. Tell others about me. Go to your neighbor. Talk to somebody at work. Live your life in a way that they will see me in you. Okay? And, you know, what's the definition of Christian? To be like Christ. Have you ever heard the expression, the only Jesus somebody's going to meet is going to be you? Because you are his representative. You need to be a Christian. You need to be Christ-like. So we put together the sea. And the sea is the deep. That's where the foundations of the deep comes in. The foundations of the deep. When I was on the boat, when I was on the ocean-going ferry, I stayed on the boat. (laughs) I didn't jump into the water. Why? Because it was really deep. (laughs) I wouldn't have turned out too well. Bottom line is, we need to go out. We need to go out to the deep. And we need to deepen in faith at that point. We need to understand that we need to share Jesus And we need to have a deep abiding faith to go to the deep. And that's where the people are. Um, The sea in Bible represents people, especially in prophecy. And so go to sea. Go to where the people are. Um, Go to other countries if that's the case. But it might be down the street. It might be at work. Uh, The sea is everywhere for us. And so, you work the sea. And uh, here are some things that Jesus tells us about that experience. Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So in the process of sharing him, in the process of understanding him, and you get out into the world and you get out into the sea, you're going to have some rough water probably. Because... Not everybody's going to take it that way. 
For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. John fifteen twenty. Remember the word I said unto you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So when you go out, he guides you out to see. You get out to where the rest of the people are. Get ready. There's going to be some persecution there. But here's a part of the verse that I think sometimes people don't spend enough time on. It's followed by, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. You know what else he promises? Yeah, there's going to be persecution out there. But if somebody accepts me the way you've accepted me, you're going to have a buddy. You're going to have a, a, you're going to have fellowship. You're going to have somebody to be with. You're not going to be alone. Yeah, there's going to be persecution out there. But there will be like believers. Uh, and what is it? Is it Isaiah? Uh, which prophet is it that looks up and, and he shows his servant? This just came to my mind. And for some reason, I, I can't think of the prophet where all of a sudden he sees that there are thousands around them. Which one is that? Elisha. Elisha. You know, that's, that's how it can be. You know, if we get enough people, we share enough, eventually there's going to be more. And so there'll be some comfort in that. So here's our puzzle. Uh, we've got the, the lighthouse, we've got the ocean, we've got the water, and at the bottom we've got the rocks. We've got to get back home. And notice how much, how much space I have left in this puzzle at this point. Not a whole lot of space. So what am I going to do? Uh, how am I going to put all the pieces in there? Each other stage of the puzzle, the pieces fit easily inside of the border to where I could work with them. It's really hard now. And isn't getting back home hard? Think of what the world is like today, right? Uh, it's, it's getting hard. <laughs> um, and we know it's going to get worse. The journey home, the home to heaven, is going to be fraught with some danger. And we're going to have to have really good, strong border pieces. But most of all, we have to have that lighthouse. We have to have Jesus. We have to have that guide in order for us to get home safely. The lighthouse took us out to sea. The lighthouse brings us back in. And now we've got to get those rocks assembled. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. Get all those pieces in there. Keep our guide, you know, the, 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 the puzzle box. You know, we're looking at that, looking here. And eventually, we have a complete picture. The puzzle is all put together. Lighthouse, sea, and rocks. Now, do you notice anything in this puzzle, though? There it is. That's the puzzle completed. What's the difference in the puzzle? And this is the box of the puzzle. This is, you know, my model that I'm trying to put together. What's the difference between those two? There's cracks in it. Anybody perfect? Nope. Nope. Even though we become Christians, we become Christ-like, don't we still have imperfections? You know, we're still, we still have battles. 
you know, and yeah, we get forgiven for sins, but sometimes sins leave scars and we pay penalties as a result of those sins. Uh, I swore on a stack of Bibles that I would never drink. I drank. I swore on a stack of Bibles I would never smoke. I smoked at one point in my life. Relatively short period, but still I did. And so, you know, I'm not perfect. I've got mistakes in my life. And one of the hardest things for me, as Hannah got older, one of the hardest parts of me, for me as a father, was as her understanding of how the world works and me having to explain to her some things and in the process tell her about some things that I had done in my past. It was embarrassing to share those kinds of stories, but I knew that I needed to do that because I don't want her to make those mistakes. I don't want the sins of the father under the third and fourth generation. She's just the next generation for me. I don't want, I want, it, I want all that bad stuff that I did to have stopped with me. I don't want it to affect her. And so I had to share some things with her along the way. And it was hard. It was. You know, and it, again, it starts to help you to understand God. You, you realize how hard it is for God to, to work, you know, the, the lives that we live, the things that we do. It's got to be painful for our Heavenly Father to see that. He knows that we're not supposed to do those things and we do them. It's got to be painful. My sins didn't hurt me nearly as much as any problem that my daughter had. If a friend did something bad to me, it was, wow, oh, it was frustrating. If a friend did something bad to Hannah, it was painful, incredibly painful. I remember my dad saying before he spanked me one time, well, he did this a lot, but he, one time in particular he said, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Yeah, right, Dad. I believe that. <laughs> and then I had to spank Hannah the first time. And boy, it was true. It hurt me more than it hurt her. You know, of course, I wasn't trying to hurt her. I was just trying to make a point. So I was careful how I did it and all that kind of deal. Uh, but the bottom line is, you know, there's that understanding. So we're not perfect. We're not perfect. And what about if some pieces are missing? You ever gotten a puzzle where not all the pieces were there? Oh, that's so frustrating, isn't it? You get it all, wait a minute, look and look and look and look, and you can't find that missing piece. And you usually give those puzzles up, don't you? Um, I have one that it's, uh, shows under, there's like two pieces missing in this puzzle, but I love the rest of it so much that I, I still have it. One of these days I'll probably get rid of it. But, you know, there, you see these missing pieces? That's a problem. And what about if there are some missing pieces in the lighthouse? What if your understanding of Jesus is not as solid as it should be? That's a problem. That's why the verse is there about the rock. Because many believe that Peter is the rock. And we understand, no, Peter's not the rock. Jesus Christ is the rock. Think of the difference that makes in your approach to your Christian life if you think a man is the rock or Jesus Christ is the rock. You don't want any missing pieces at the top of that puzzle. You don't want any missing pieces in your understanding of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he came and what he died for. That needs to be a complete picture. You need the full picture in order to have the understanding. So now here's the finished puzzle. Um, 
the picture, the finished puzzle. And if you don't have this, what do you have? You've got this. Trust me, this was a little bit of a trick to flip the puzzle over. <laughs> Fortunately, it holds together pretty well. Uh, but uh, yeah, Satan's got an opposite for everything, doesn't he? Lucifer has a false Sabbath. Uh, he's got all kinds of things that he puts in into place uh, to take the place of. Uh, look at the, through the Bible, you know, how many people felt like they were worshiping God and they're worshiping idols, golden calves, birds, dragons, snakes, all kinds of things. Uh, you, know, he, you know, no graven image. It's a simple rule, but yet how many times in, throughout humanity has it been broken? And if you've got, if you don't have the right picture, this is what you've got. You've got nothing. It's null. It's void. And it leads to total emptiness it leads to eternal death. This is what you need. You need the full picture. You need Jesus Christ. You need to know that you have to have a deep faith. You need to share that faith, go out into the sea, become fishers of men. What did he send? He sent the disciples, I'll make you fishers of men. He put them out in, into, the, into the world. And at the Pentecost, what happens? Wow. An amazing, amazing thing. Uh, within uh, like 30 or 40 years, uh, they go from just a few thousand believers to millions of believers. Think of, you know, I, I think about churches, you know, you know could, could we do that same thing if we had that same fervent uh, we're waiting for the latter rain, that, that outpouring that comes at the end to reach out into all the world. You know, uh, there's a plan to put uh, great controversy into every home in the United States. You know, there are things that we're trying to do because we realize we've got to spread the word. It can happen. We just need to do it. We need to be able to go out, go fishing, have a deepening faith, and then we need to get back home. We need to use the lighthouse to get back home. Another difference in this uh, puzzle. Here's, you know, something missing in this one. You know, here's our imperfections. If you've got Jesus Christ in your life, this is how God sees you. He sees you as perfect. Because Jesus paid for your sins. And if you've truly been repentant and you've asked for forgiveness and you're living the best that you can do, understanding that we're not perfect and we're going to make mistakes. But like in Sabbath school, we were talking about David. Uh, <laughs> made some pretty serious mistakes, but he was repentant. And in terms of you know, a man after God's own heart. This is how God sees David. A person that um, did some terrible things. But he said, I'm sorry. And he was truly repentant. So as long as we've got Christ in our lives, we can have that sense of perfection. Now, here's some things that we're told that we need to do. Many have excused themselves from rendering their gifts to the service of Christ because others were possessed of superior endowments and advantages. The opinion has prevailed that only those who are especially talented are required to consecrate, consecrate their abilities to the service of God. 
You know, just let the pastor do it. It has come to be understood by many that talents are given only to a certain favored class to the exclusion of others, who, of course, are not called upon to share in the toils or the rewards, but it is not so represented in the parable. When the master of the house called his servants, he gave to every man his work. We've all got something to do. And it might just be one little, two little, two or three people. It, you know, it's going to be different. Everybody's situation is different. But there's going to be some work that, that God needs you to do on his behalf. The humblest and poorest of the disciples of Jesus can be a blessing to others. They may not realize that they are doing any special good. Just living your good life sometimes gets people to ask you questions. But by their unconscious influence, they may start waves of blessing that will widen and deepen, and the blessed results they may never know until the day of their final reward. Uh, How cool would it be to get to heaven and have somebody tap on your shoulder and explain to you that you're the reason they're there, and you haven't the faintest clue how that happened? That would be absolutely fascinating. Uh, I hope somebody taps me on the shoulder and does that. I hope that I've made a difference in my life that I'm totally unaware of and that somebody will say thank you. Uh, That would be a tremendous blessing. They do not feel or know that they are doing anything great. They are not required to weary themselves with anxiety about success. They have only to go forward quietly doing faithfully the work that God's providence assigns and their life will not be in vain. Their own souls will be growing more and more into the likeness of Christ to be Christ-like. They are workers together with God in this life and are thus fitting for the higher work and the unshadowed joy of the life to come. The lighthouse. There's another difference in this picture. What's different between that one and this one? This is how God sees us Jesus died for our sins, and if we're truly repentant, this is how he'll see us. Perfect. What's different about this one? There's a price on it. In the upper right-hand corner, one dollar. That's what Trisha paid at Goodwill for my puzzle. (laughs) She paid a dollar for this puzzle, my favorite puzzle ever. Jesus paid a price too, didn't he? When we get to heaven, perfect, we'll be perfect. Jesus will still have scars. His hands, his feet, his side, his forehead, they're going to have the scars of the price that he paid for our sins. And he will always have them. And we will have none. Isn't that amazing? This puzzle box means a lot to me because Trisha paid a price for it. It was a gift from her. I don't care what it cost. It could have been $100, $10, $5, $1. Have you ever gotten one of those gifts? It didn't matter what it cost. It just mattered that somebody thought enough of you and gave you a gift. And you know they paid a price for it of some kind. It doesn't matter what it was. This, pri- this puzzle will always mean a lot to me. It was a gift from Tricia, the love of my life. It was a dollar. 
But I know she poured her heart and soul into it because she saw that puzzle and she knew me. And she said, John will love this. Didn't matter what it cost. It mattered that she thought about me and she cared about me. And she gave me a gift that I have treasured. It's the most significant, other than getting married, okay? (laughs) And Hannah, okay, we'll, we'll say that those two trump everything, right? This is the best gift I ever got from Tricia. And uh, it's, a, it's fabulous. It's fabulous. Now, here's something that I want to uh, explore. Can you see what this is? It's a light. It's the lighthouse at night. And, and maybe a little bit uh, foggy, right? There's the lighthouse. Is there. You can just sort of see it. Have you ever been out in, in the middle of no place and you're trying to figure out where you are and you see a light or something and you think, oh, well, I think... And you start to try to plot your way back, right? How do we get back home? You know, what if you're one of those people that's out in the middle of the ocean, you took a party boat out there, and now you're, you're out in the ocean. You don't know anything about navigation. And this is the only thing you can see. It's a light. And you assume, well, I, I, I got to head for that light. What are the odds of you getting home safely if that's all you have? It's the lights along the shore that actually get you there or help get you there, I should say. Uh, lighthouses work in conjunction with other lights. And when you go into a harbor, if you've ever gone into a harbor or seen, there's buoys here and there's a buoy there and there's a little light here and there's a little light there. And so the harbor um, the captain or whoever, the pilot uh, brings in, in the ship, not only has the lighthouse to guide, but they've got all these other markers along the way. And guess what? God has it set up for the same thing to happen. We're the lights along the shore. We're the ones that are supposed to be helping Jesus bring people home. And if you've got enough lights on the shore, can you see a little bit more? We can see the lighthouse, and now we can see some of the other things. We can see some of the rocks. We can see some of the places. We can see where the water is. Bottom line is, we have a role to play. We're the lights on the shore. It's not that we're the most important thing. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying because we understand Jesus, we know what our role is, and we're trying to help as many people, lost sinners, to find home. The lights on the shore are helping guide. The lighthouse is the most important thing. It's the highest point. It's the brightest light. It's the light that's placed in the most critical spot. But the lights along the shore are also there to help guide us home. Now, the closing hymn is an old, old favorite of mine. And uh, what I would like to do is to, is to sing this closing hymn. And then I've got a couple of things I want to say at the, at the end of it. This is one of my favorite, favorite hymns, The Lights Along the Shore. It's in the old hymnal, so don't get the new. The blue hymnal doesn't have it. I don't know. It didn't make the cut for some reason. I've always been surprised by that. It's a red, is it red? Yeah, it's the red hymnal. But I'm also going to have, oh, well, he's got the lyrics on the screen too, so don't worry about it. Okay? 
I don't need my clicker now. Okay. Um, So I would like for us to sing this one together. I hope that you'll sing with me because if I'm the only one singing, you're not going to enjoy it very much. But uh, this is a precious, precious song. song because it really reflects all of the beauty that we have in terms of relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we could put my... Okay, it's coming. Um, You know, this lighthouse theme, you know, the fact that he paid a price for us. In heaven, we're side by side with him. You know, it's the whole mission that we're called to. We're asked by the rock Jesus Christ, to go into the fountains of the deep, to deepen our faith and to bring others, and then be the lights along the shore, work in conjunction with the lighthouse and to bring people safely back home. I hope that all of us are there. I don't want any of us to not be in that final safe harbor with the lighthouse, with our Heavenly Father, safe forever. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for the message that you have given to us. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our lighthouse, our guide. He's the one that enables us to do pretty much everything. And as we understand him, when we put our border pieces together, the Ten Commandments, parables, stories, interactions with others, those kinds of things can build us into a solid Christian. We don't want to be a plastic Christian, a fake Christian. We want to be truly representative of you. And we want to be a light along the shore. We want to help bring others safely home. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you so much. 
All this we ask, not because we are unworthy, but in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.